Hello, welcome to Leftist Labor History. My name is Nate and I am the host. So we're gonna get started in a second, but first we're going to rock out to the intro music for just a little bit. So let's get started. This episode is about the period of history called uh, Reconstruction. Um, The last episode, we talked about American slavery. So that was a big chunk of history. We went from 1492 to 1865. So I I really did short shrift of, um, you know, the history of slavery in the Americas last time. Um, It just covered... A lot. This time I'm going to cover, you know, a lot fewer events. I'm dedicating a whole episode to this period because um, this is going to set the stage for the rest of, I mean, from from 1877 to present day. So a lot of stuff kind of gets solidified during Reconstruction, and I want to talk about that. And beyond just you know, hitting the the main points of what Reconstruction was, I'm going to do some analysis. So just to revisit that that first episode about slavery real briefly, to the point I was trying to hit really was that um, slavery and anti-black racism really developed in parallel. So they influenced each other. Um, one did not caused the other so much as they as they developed at the same time one way of reading american history or american uh the history of american slavery is to look at you know in in in, in very crude terms slavery is the economic base and anti-black racism is the superstructure and they feed in they feed into each other right so slavery gives rise to racism racism justifies slavery and and so it goes um so in reconstruction we're going to see what happens when the institution of chattel slavery is abolished so in this episode of uh reconstruction when we talk about reconstruction so there's a couple of things going on. One is a is a very clear break. Um, at the same time, things are never as neat and tidy as all that. Actually, there's a lot of continuity between the period before and the period after. And sure enough, this is that this is the case. So, basic facts: What is Reconstruction? A lot of the American South was destroyed during the Civil War, and there was, you know, a physical aspect to reconstructing the South. But um, perhaps more importantly, there was the, the, the issue or the problem of what is the economy in the South going to look like after chattel slavery has been abolished. So Lincoln's assassinated, and now we have Andrew Johnson um, ascending to the presidency. I mentioned this in the previous episode because Andrew Johnson, the reason why Lincoln picked him as his running mate in 1864 is he wanted 
unity. So he picked a, a Tennessee Democrat in Johnson, but also um, Johnson was was poor. Johnson grew up poor, and he hated the wealthy planter class. So there's this aspect of class politics that um, Lincoln and Andrew Johnson can agree on. Andrew Johnson's presidency is universally regarded as a colossal failure. Historians, many historians consider him the single worst president in the in the history of the United States. Basically, um, Andrew Johnson is is just a racist piece of shit. He favors states' rights, right? So he basically wants to let the fate of black Southerners rest in the hands of people who very recently fought a war to enslave them. So Johnson comes in in 1865. He's extremely lenient, much more lenient than Lincoln in terms of, you know, restoring the rights of of the Southern traders. So he gives a lot of land back to uh, Southern planters that had been seized. Um, he's doing a bit of class, you know, warfare and, and trying to trying to kind of favor lower class whites. But when, what ends up happening is his presidency ends up um, emboldening Southerners who uh, really didn't have to to even jump through hoops to kind of be part of the Union again. And if it were left to Johnson, um, you know, these Southern traders would have just gone right back into Congress. What happens is the congressional Republicans, um, a lot of, you know, kind of led by the radical Republicans such as Thaddeus Stevens, they refuse to seat the, the Southern Democrats. They say, no, you're, you're traitors. You can't be part of this government. With the Southern Democrats not seated in Congress, Republicans have a, have a supermajority, and they have enough um, to override President Johnson's vetoes. And, and that's just kind of how it's going until, until 1868, right? So Johnson fails to win his party's nomination in 1868, so he is not running for president again. Uh, Ulysses Grant, he runs, and he wins the presidency. Um, by this time, because of President Johnson's fuckery, the South is, is kind of just disregarding what the North is trying to do in terms of, of reconstruction. With Grant uh, now in the presidency, he's going to take on the very daunting task of keeping the union together. This is, that's kind of at the forefront of his mind. At the same time, he is very committed to the, to the task of enforcing the, the, the new rights that have, been, um, that have been granted onto formerly enslaved black people. So Grant doesn't have an easy task. I, I mean, the situation is basically, it's, it's lawlessness. Um, the Klan you know, in concert with, with law enforcement and with, you know, people in government enacting this, this kind of reign of terror, um, assassinating, you know, politicians, they're lynching black people. 
So during so immediately after the Civil War, during um, congressional Repub- uh, congressional Reconstruction, black people and especially black men um, have new rights uh, from the Reconstruction Amendments. Uh, and the Fifteenth Amendment grants the right of of black men to vote. Well, a lot of these states have black majorities, so all of a sudden, basically overnight, um, a lot of these southern states are are getting black uh, representatives. Um, in fact, the first black congresspeople are elected in 1870. There's a lot of legitimate elections, but there's a lot of elections just being stolen. And Grant is is has kind of the dilemma of how do you, how do you how do you enforce that? How do you enforce these these rights for black people, where a lot of white people are straight up willing to go to war again? Well, what Grant does, I mean, Grant's a military man, and he starts uh, passing a series of acts called the Klan Acts, and this authorizes basically military force to be used in response to the Ku Klux Klan. This works. This works. You know, the, the consensus is this actually solves the problem of Klan violence. Sending in federal troops to combat the Klan, to enforce the rights of, of black people, it's very successful. But at the same time, he's very interested in this idea of reconciliation, not just for the, the, the practical goal of keeping the country together, but also because... I mean, he, he, he has this kind of like gentlemanly respect for the, for the other white people that he fought against, right? So like he kind of keeps, keeps on good terms in this weird way with like Robert E. Lee, you know, even though they were basically, they were engaged in pretty much total war against each other. Anyway, so This is the situation going into the election of 1876. Um, Everything is made worse by the financial panic of 1873, which was so severe it was known as the Great Depression until the Great Depression of the 30s. Um, So things things are really dicey. And in 1876, there's a presidential election. What happens is Democrats are just outright just defrauding and, 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 you know, stealing ballots, doing every nasty trick in the book. So the election, they tally up the votes, and um, Tilden has the lead, but the Republicans are, are disputing, um, you know, several southern states that have clearly rigged the election in an attempt to to steal the election and another guy, you know, win the presidency. Um, so they're not willing to, neither, neither party is willing to concede. Neither party is willing to say, yeah, we lost. This drags on. The way they resolve it is that this, is this kind of backroom deal. This is definitely not, you know, a public process, but Republicans get together with Democrats and they say, listen, We'll cut you a deal. We will take federal troops out of the South if you give us the presidency. And Democrats agree to it. And so the compromise of 1877 was that um, Republicans ended up 
ending Reconstruction. This was the official end of Reconstruction. There's no more federal troops to enforce what the North is trying to do. And there it goes. There's it's it's very kind of shady, unsavory end to um, to a very complicated time in history. <laughs> let's say. So what is what is so that's what that's Reconstruction in in a nutshell. Um, what does Reconstruction mean for labor? in the U.S., right? So this is a series about labor history. Well, um, you know, as the Republicans are forming, so we're, we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time to the 1850s. So the slavery question is driving politics. The Republican Party is, is, is this brand new party. And they are coming up with a coalition, for one, right? So... The Republican Party needs is trying to find its legs, and it's in opposition to slavery. So what's what's the what's the counter message to slave labor? Well, it's free labor. So the free labor ideology is going to become very consequential in Reconstruction and in the rest of U.S. history. Um, what free labor means is. Um, well, it means different things to different constituents, right? So in part, it is drawing on the, the agricultural democratic um, ideal of Thomas Jefferson. Let's go back in time even further. Um, I'm going to try to find some kind of video effect to transport us back in time. So let's go back to the 1780s. We got Thomas Jefferson, um, you know, the framing of the Constitution. Jefferson had this ideology of this freeholder republic. So Jefferson and other Enlightenment thinkers were, were a bit preoccupied with the problem of sustaining a, dem a democracy, right? So if you know anything about, you know, the framing of the U.S. Constitution, everybody's trying to figure out, well, what do we do about competing interests? What's, what happens if one interest takes over and just dominates everybody else? So Thomas Jefferson espouses this um, solution to this problem of competing interests, um, with this idea of, of this kind of agricultural yeoman democracy. Okay, rather than have everybody crammed into these cities, we just keep pushing everybody out and giving people land. The ideal for him is that you have a plot of land where a family can work it and Basically, this is this this system is is going to preserve democracy because the 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 front the western frontier for Jefferson is seen as this kind of release valve for all the tensions that come from urbanization and all of these competing interests, um, and it also is an antidote to the evils of wage labor. Thomas Jefferson did not like wage labor. He uh, considered it a form of, of slavery. Now, you might be thinking, oh, cool, is Thomas Jefferson, you know, see a Marxist or, or whatever? 
No, he is not. He, Thomas Jefferson is a slaveholder, right? So in making sense of all of this, you have to understand he is he doesn't believe that that black people fit into this equation at all. Black people do not have the same rights as white people. So one of the big problems, one of the big um, labor problems with this Jeffersonian scheme is that we've never had these this kind of republic of of individual family plots of land. This has always been worked by enslaved black people, including on Jefferson's Monticello plantation. Um, there's another big problem. You know, this Jeffersonian ideal depends on displacing Native Americans on the frontier in order for white people to take over that land, right? Pretty clearly. So in Jeffersonian, in this Jeffersonian ideal, we're getting an intersection of land and labor. And this is going to come to bear in Reconstruction, right? So Lincoln is a proponent of the free labor ideology. And so Southern agriculturalists are, you know, the, the ones who are willing to give Lincoln a shot and, and trying to get on board with this alternative to slave labor are like, yeah, free labor, right? Jeffersonianism. Um, yeah, I have my piece of land and I'm, and I'm, and I'm free. I'm independent. Northerners. So the Republicans in the North, one of the big factions in the Republican coalition is industrialists. And so the industrialists in the North are saying, yeah, free labor. You are free to pick, you know, who you sell your labor to. Right? So there's these kinds of, there's these competing, there's these competing ideas about what free labor means, but, but the idea is, is, is catching on. Um, and the idea is going to drive reconstruction efforts because you have, um, you know, northerners who are setting the policies, um, and ideologically, they're influenced by these northern industrialists. That's where we're at. As the Union Army is moving through the south, they are seizing large tracts of land. Um, so um, southerners are getting, you know, white southerners are getting pushed out of their homes. Plantations are being seized by the army and are under army control. Um, so some Republicans in the army... General Saxton, there's a general in the Union Army, General Saxton, and he starts, uh, you know, declaring, he doesn't have the really the authority to do this, but he starts declaring this plan to give 40 acres of land to the, uh, to formerly enslaved black people, right? So if you've heard of, of the, the, the fabled 40 acres and a mule, it comes from this general, and uh, like I said, so General Sherman is be on board with it. The the wartime Reconstruction head um, is on board with it. Um, and during the Civil War, a number of Black people start settling land that has been abandoned by Southern whites. And and so there is this there's this uh, plan among the more radical Republicans. Um, to give land to the formerly enslaved people who worked this land, right? They've earned it. That's the rationale. 
This makes plenty of sense as reparations, as a way to get, you know, black people, you know, on their feet um, and to get them, you know, get them empowered, get them as, as part of society in this newly unified country. This doesn't come to fruition. Um, so why not? In the South, or for, for you know, more explicit racists, this is going to be the, the, the view of Reconstruction is that it's a is that it's going to give black people a leg up over white people. Um, so there's a there's a, a poster from 1866, which is in support of, of President Johnson. So on this poster, um, there is a racist caricature of a black person and he's just kicking back. And there's a white person chopping wood, hard at work, and it says, The Freedmen's Bureau, an agency to keep the Negro in idleness at the expense of the white man. This is the ideology of, of white supremacy that came about um, during chattel slavery, is the idea that any gains made by black people come at the expense of white people. Right? So if we're looking at if we're if we're using you know in Marxist terms, the economic base of slavery is 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 changing. Um, the superstructure is also changing. But the fascinating thing about about ideology is that you are getting poor white people to to. Um, oppose policies and that might benefit them and you're getting them to oppose people that they might band together with in solidarity chattel slavery is abolished with the 13th amendment um so if you want to think of it in in these terms uh you know capital s slavery slavery as as you know in the in as we tend to envision it, is abolished. It's, it's outlawed. But slavery, little less slavery, continues because there... So the South, um, the white South, is able to come up with new schemes to, con to coerce people into working for them, especially black people. But poor white people are going to get caught up in these uh, schemes as well. Uh, most notably, sharecropping. Sharecropping is tenant farming, where you pay for, you, you're given a loan of equipment or seed. You farm on, on the landowner's land, and as a payment, you give a portion of your crop. Um, this led to massive amounts of, of compounding debt. Because it was very easy to take take advantage of this situation, especially if you're a white landowner and you have black tenants who don't have recourse to the law in the in the Reconstruction South. Um, two thirds of sharecroppers are white, so this this um, this white supremacist ideology in the South is going to is going to to ensnare poor white people as well as black people. Guess who does not care? 
rich white people. They do not give a shit that, <laughs> you know, they will use this ideology to their, to their purposes um, because poor people buy into it and then they will exploit anybody that they can, you know, get their hands on. Okay, so the black codes are a more stark example of white Southerners um, coercing black people into, into working for them. Um, so these codes, you know, state that black people have to have a, a year-long contract at any given time. And if, you, if you're caught without a contract to work for somebody else who owns property, who is, you know, chances are that person's white, um, you can get thrown into, into, into jail. And as a prisoner, there's no... So um, if you've seen the documentary The 13th, you know that the 13th Amendment does not abolish all slavery. It has a provision for slavery as a punishment for a crime. Right. So this this carve out for in, for incarcerated people to be forced into slave labor it still is around. It still exists. Incarcerated people are are performing slave labor as we speak. Right. So in this sense, slavery changes changes form more than it is, you know, ended by the 13th Amendment amendment. Um, so vagrancy laws, that's one of the examples of, of this, this push to force black people into wage labor. We've talked about Andrew Johnson and his just absolute um, disaster of a presidency and all of the, the giveaways that he gave to the southern traders and, you know, his vetoing of any kind of, like, civil rights bill. So, so Johnson's presidency is a, is a big setback to this idea, but there's more going on. And what else is going on is the Northern free labor ideology. So for Republicans, this means basically you don't get, um, you're not going to just live off of government charity, right? So there's this idea of handouts during reconstruction. Um, which a lot of, you know, there are the radical Republicans who are pushing for, um, for formerly enslaved people to get their own plot of land. But the more moderate Republicans are thinking, well, we don't want to just give things away because people need to work for what they have. I'm going to read you a quote from the New York Times. January 1863. If the Emancipation Proclamation makes the slaves actually free, there will come the further duty of making them work. Right? So Republicans have this, this idea. You, you, we're all, if, you're, if you've ever lived in the United States for any period of time, you know this, this idea is, well, how, you know, if you give somebody something, they're not just going to work. I also want to mention that the first of the Homestead Acts is passed in 1862. And this is, this allows homesteaders to just, you know, go out into the frontier, set up residence on a plot of land, 160 up to 160 acres, and that land is now yours. You pay, you know, a nominal fee 
and you've got your own land, right? So this is this is this is like the embodiment. This is the enactment of this Jeffersonian ideal. This is the the end result of Republicans pitching the free labor ideology for what are Western territories at the time, right? So there's much debate over new territories and new states being admitted into the country, whether they're going to be slave states or, or free states, right? So Republicans are saying these are incompatible. We want free labor, not slave labor in these, in these new territories. And these, you know, if they're going to be states, we want them to be, this is going to be free labor. Um, and the Homestead Acts is this selling point for people to abandon the, the ideology of plantation slavery, saying like, hey, go out and stake your own land. Go out and find your own land. Some black people are going to be able to um, avail themselves of this, of, you know, homestead and get their free land. But there's a lot of racial discrimination, and this is primarily going to go to white homesteaders. Why do, why do white people get these free plots of land? Um, and so now we'll go back to 1830, which is when President Andrew Jackson, who is still on our $20 bills, um, for the record. So Andrew Jackson signs uh, the Indian Removal Act. And so through the 1830s, the, the Trail of Tears is... Um, you know, comes 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 about as um, American Indians are pushed off of their traditional lands with the use of the U.S. military. So, how do you how do we explain that? How do we explain the willingness of the fi- the federal government to give free land to mostly white people while um, this this demand for uh, this demand for you know the forty acres and a mule. Why doesn't that come about? This is, I mean, this is a sincere question, right? So, what do we make as leftists, as Marxists? I think this is important to consider. What do we make of of the fact that a settler colonialism has has led to the mass displacement? Awful violence, um, the you know, um, the spread of infectious disease, the genocide of, of native peoples on this continent. We have to reckon with that, and then we have to reckon with the fact that okay, so this whole all of this land is traditionally you know um, Native American land, and now the government's going to give it to white people but not black people. So there's actually an, an example of formerly enslaved people who, who have this settlement on some of the islands off the east coast of, of, uh, of like the Carolinas, and they're, and they're subsistence farming. They're not growing cotton, um, right? They're growing potatoes and uh, corn. They don't want anything to do with cotton and tobacco, this is a threat to the new economic order of the United States. And so what ends up happening is Northern Republicans um, dispossess these people 
and other, uh, you know, freed people of the lands that they had begun to settle in order to say, well, you know, we're going to have you actually, you're going to be working for wages. Yeah. So anyway, so it's an interesting, uh, interesting piece of the puzzle. Anyway, so those are the um, those are the issues at play during Reconstruction. There's free labor, um, and next episode we're going to talk about the Gilded Age, and it's going to be another good one. So please join us for that. And uh, thanks for watching. 